Welcome, 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 everybody, to The Straight Line with Ryan Leaf as we finish out the week um, talking a little NFL. Uh, Andrew Brandt, a uh, favorite of our show here, is going to join us uh, uh, in this show to talk about who won the, the Jets and Packers trade for Aaron Rodgers, where it goes with Jordan Love, uh, and, it, and a, a plethora of other things. Uh, when he's here, you know, we use him. We we use his education, we use his brain, and we do our best uh, to get informed by him. He'll join us a little bit later here on the straight line with Ryan Leaf. But first, we're going to go into some NFL news. Anything Tom Brady is big NFL news. The schedule release would probably top our show our show normally, but Tom Brady, the greatest quarterback of all time, he dips his toe into the field a little bit. They're in deep discussions, Tom Brady is, with the uh, Las Vegas Raiders on becoming a limited partner in the ownership group of the Raiders. Now, I will preface this, people. The Raiders are probably worth, oh, uh, $4 billion. Now, you know, that's just a if, – if the, the Washington football team goes for six point whatever, $2 billion, then I, I would argue that, that, you know, the commanders aren't $2 billion – more valuable than the Raiders, but let's just let's be conservative here. Raiders are worth four billion dollars. If Tom Brady wanted to own one percent, one percent of the Raiders, it would cost him forty million dollars to own one percent of the Raiders. I don't know, you know, Tom Brady's, you know, financial situation, but I don't know if he's got forty million bucks laying around. I do know this. He. If he if he wants to maybe I don't know can he I, that's a weird if you're a part owner of the Raiders can you uh, go call football games for Fox that would seem like a conflict of interest just it would I mean we'd have to, have to do some research on that uh, because then he could probably use the 375 million dollars that comes with said contract with Fox to be more of a uh, uh, more substantial owner now we also could see uh, you know you know Tom Brady get a a a bit of a deal here where he gets to own uh, a bigger share of the of the portion with have, having not had to necessarily play, pay his full weight because of what he brings to the table in terms of marketing value, all those things. The fact that Josh McDaniels is in Las Vegas, I think speaks volumes to it. Tom Brady, Jimmy Garoppolo, Josh McDaniels, those guys were together for a long, long time. So should be interesting to see what that looks like. But I just wanted to give you some perspective on one, what 1% of the Las Vegas Raiders would cost at a valuation of $4 billion. That's why when you look at the Brooklyn Nets or whatever, and JC, Jay-Z being a you know, part owner, you know, I don't know what, what that part ownership is, but the guy that owns it, like when people talk about fuck you money, these owners <laughs> have it, all right? These owners have it for sure. The NFL schedule officially released last night, and people went bonkers. Um, NFL can sell anything, absolutely anything, okay? Uh, we saw some great team social media schedule releases from everywhere. Denver released some with Peyton Manning. Um, we saw other former players, some current players, things of that nature. But ultimately, the Titans... By far, I feel, won the team schedule release. If you haven't seen it, 
Hopefully, we're going to give you a shot of it right here. And then go take a look at it and some of the names that what they did ultimately is they went out on uh, Broadway in Nashville and just peppered people with questions. Had them look at other logos of what the schedule looked like and the names that came out of their mouth was absolutely hilarious. Take a look. St. Louis Rams. Oh. Lana uh, McQueen. No. Oh, that's just the football logo. All right. First game really announced, the Chiefs versus the Lions. Uh, they open up the season on Thursday night. Uh, should a should the NFL had a, a different game, maybe? Maybe the Super Bowl rematch, which we'll see later, a, a Tyreek Hill revenge game, something like that. Uh, I think this is a good one. Of course, you had to have the Chiefs. They were going to be given their, their Super Bowl rings. And what team was going to be of the caliber to do it? Well, I thought the best team ending the regular season a year ago may have been the Detroit Lions. In Lambeau, on the road, cold weather, Jared Goff, the running backs, the defense stepping up and stopping Aaron Rodgers from getting to the playoffs when this game was meaningless to the Detroit Lions in terms of anything but pride. Lions will come to town. What an amazing opportunity. I think this game has a lot of a lot of sparkle. I think it has a lot of nuance. The last two times these quarterbacks went head-to-head, it may have been one of the most impressive football games ever to have been played. It was a game that was scheduled to play in Mexico City, but because of the turf, it got moved back to Los Angeles. And in Los Angeles, they played in the Coliseum, and it was just an uh, onslaught of offense. Mahomes answered by Goff, back and forth, back and forth. And what maybe surprise you, Goff is the one that ended up with a bigger and better night. In fact, the team won and beat the Chiefs that night. We'll see how it plays out in week one. Uh, um, this Lions team, Dan Campbell, his team, this is an unbelievable op- opportunity and a great test. Do I think they beat the Chiefs on the night they get their Super Bowl rings at home where they normally are just gangbusters in week one? I don't think so. But I think the test you know, what kind of back does Dan Campbell and this, this crew have? Can they, can they go to battle with the league's best team, the Kansas City Chiefs, the reigning Super Bowl champs, and showcase that? I think they can. I think they will. Would it surprise me if they found a way to upset them? No. This is a career-defining year for Jared Goff, and he gets to start it off in Arrowhead against the defending national champs. All right. Another big nuance to the schedule release. The Giants, they're, they have to play seven of their first ten games on the road. This is the first time in the history of the schedule. Now, I, I, I doubt that Brian Dable and everybody's pleased about this, but if you go take a look at it, it's not as bad as you think, people, all right? The one part that I disliked the most was um, weeks, November, I think it's November 5th through November 19th. Okay, three consecutive road games. Other than that, they go on the road for two games. They're home again on the road maybe for two games, at home for two games. There isn't anything along that span where I would go, you know, seen it before, not that big a deal. The three consecutive weeks on the road to start November, that is one that may may come back to haunt them, and they'll have to look into, you know, the scheduling 
aspect of things and how this possibly could have happened. That's my only one takeaway in terms of what could really be a negative for this Giants team with that three-game stretch to start November. All right, so let's go through some of the NFL schedule. Let's look at what we would give, uh, you know, some superlatives. One for us, favorite quarterback matchup. Okay. Do we want to look at veteran on veteran? Do we want to look rookie on rookie? Well, we actually have a superlative a little bit later on rookie on rookie violence, okay? First, we're going to go favorite quarterback matchup. I'm going to start off right away. Uh, 9-11, week one, Monday night football. The Bills come to New York City and take on the Jets, 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 and Aaron Rodgers. I think this is, you couldn't ask for a better quarterback matchup. The, uh, a quarterback that, sh- that hasn't won an MVP that should be considered for an MVP for over the last three years, a guy that's won the MVP uh, two out of the last three years in a big move to a different division in the AFC, this couldn't be a better opening night for Monday Night Football than these two, mat- these two quarterbacks matching up. Another great quarterback matchup. I went with two for every superlative. I know, you know, we're, we're odd here at the, at the straight line. I'm going to go all the way towards the end of the year. New Year's Eve, week 17, rematch of the AFC Championship for the last two years. Cincinnati Bengals versus the Kansas City Chiefs. Joe Burrow versus Patrick Mahomes. Couldn't get better. Two of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. Two of the best quarterbacks that will be in the NFL for the next decade going against each other. Think maybe for the seventh time in the last three years. I mean, this is some epic stuff. It's going to be a lot of fun. Bookend, great quarterback matchups with the release of the NFL schedule. All right, we're moving on to favorite rookie matchups. Well, I mean, you can't really have rookie matchups when you have different kind of positions. You're thinking about the quarterback position here. So we're going to go to week two. All right, September 17th. Week two, Colts. Visit the Houston Texans. You're going to get a chance for most likely Anthony Richardson versus C.J. Stroud. What does that look like in week two? That's our first favorite rookie matchup. Second, let's go to week eight, October 29th. Houston, C.J. Stroud will travel to Carolina, take on his buddy Bryce Young, who was the number one overall pick at quarterback. So those are our two favorite rookie matchups with the NFL schedule release. Let's go to favorite coaching matchup, all right? We're going to go to week, um, let's go to week six, all right? Week six, October 5th, we got um, we got the New York Giants traveling to Buffalo, all right? Brian Dable back to his old stomping grounds in Orchard Park to take on the Buffalo Bills. Now, Leslie Frazier is gone. Sean McDermott is in his place. He knows Brian Dable really well. What does that look like? I like this matchup between coaches late in the year. Well, not so late, middle of the year, I guess, week week six. All right, let's go to week nine. November 5th, we get the Indianapolis Colts, new head coach, Shane Steichen, versus the Carolina Panthers and Frank Reich the head coach that was just recently fired by Jim Irsay and the Indianapolis Colts. Also, you get a rookie quarterback matchup between Anthony Richardson and Bryce Young. So this makes for an incredible uh, uh, opportunity 
for fans out there to see a lot with this coaching matchup. All right, let's go to our favorite playoff matchup, all right, or playoff rematch. I'm going to go October 8th, week five, the Dallas Cowboys versus the San Francisco 49ers. Um, I think this game was a better football game than I expected uh, in the NFC divisional round. Um, And so I would expect it to be very similar. Offense has to play much better, of course, for Dallas. Um, but now without Kellen Moore, what is the offense going to look like? Um, this is, I, I like this uh, playoff rematch. And then let's go to week nine. All right, week nine between the uh, – on November 5th, let's go Bills-Bengals, I believe. Bills-Bengals rematch. This game, of course, stems to the Monday night matchup that was canceled because of the DeMar Hamlin, um, you know, tragedy. And, uh, and then the playoff game was, I don't think, what a lot of people expected. Buffalo got to host. Cincinnati came in, ran all over them. Buffalo had hit the wall at that point, so I don't know if we got the best game for both squads. Um, so I like this one, a rematch during the regular season uh, in Week 9. All right, let's go to another superlative here, the favorite revenge game. What is a revenge game? Is it a player versus somebody else? Is it a coach? Well, we went with uh, November 20th, okay? November 20th, week 11, Philadelphia Eagles travel to Kansas City. They get a little revenge from the Super Bowl, go on the road, beat the defending world champions in their home stadium. That's going to have a, a lot of revenge to it. And then we look to week 13, and uh, which is December 3rd, and we got San Francisco heading back to Philly. So both revenge games include the Philadelphia Eagles, one on maybe the giving the revenge back or receiving it. See what San Francisco looks like at that point in terms of the quarterback position and whether or not we get a full game there in Philly. All right, final superlative and... You guys always put this stuff in here. It, it just is. Worst game of the year. Worst game of the year. We're going week one. All right. Week one, September 10th. Arizona travels to Washington. Boo. What a bad game. No Kyler Murray. Sam Howell in his second start, most likely. No one's signing up for that one. That's the worst game of the year. Schedule release, people. I guess you had to do it at some point, and you did. Hope you enjoyed that. Um, there's some. In- it's just going to be a great football season. The AFC is going to be bonkers good, people. I can't wait for it to get kicked off. Got a little lull here as we get ready before camps start to go. And then we're off. We're off and running. It will be September 10th. I guess, what is it, September 8th will be the uh, uh, September 7th. I cannot do my math right now in terms of calendar work. All right. It'll be here before you know it. Our next guest, Andrew Brandt, is going to join us. Talk all about the NFL, the schedule release, what he thought about when the schedule came out and what he did, how he went about his business, and who won the, the, um, the payoff on the trade for Aaron Rodgers. Was it the Jets who got their guy? Or was it the Packers who held out and ultimately got exactly what they wanted in that trade? We'll be right back here on The Straight Line with Ryan Leaf.
Welcome back, everybody, to The Straight Line with Ryan Leaf. Uh, let's welcome to the show a good friend of ours, uh, Mr. Andrew Brandt, former uh, front office man there for the Green Bay Packers, has his own uh, newsletter that I subscribe to, and I suggest all of you subscribe to that comes out every Sunday that gives you a, a real rundown of everything kind of going on in the sporting world around the business side. It's, uh, it's very informative. It's helped me a ton. Uh, we've had him on the show a couple times. We welcome him back into the straight line with Ryan Leaf. Hey, Andrew, good to see you. Hey, Ryan. Always good to be with you. Enjoy, uh, enjoy our time together. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, last time we talked, it was kind of all about you really educated us on what the contract for Aaron Rodgers was built out as. It was built to be traded at some point. Uh, the you know That's what it was meant to do, and it's exactly what finally played out. Um, speak to the negotiations, what do you think forcefully made it move along a lot quicker there at the end, right before the draft, and maybe kind of take the sides of both the Jets and the Pack in terms of who may have won this uh, this tango for Aaron Rodgers? Yeah, Ryan, as we talked last time, and I was saying this, not to pat myself on the back, but I was saying this even before Aaron came on the Pat McAfee show the Packers had the leverage here, and I define leverage as which party is more comfortable with the status quo. So the Packers are completely comfortable, were completely comfortable with the status quo. Aaron was on the roster, but he was not really on the roster. They had replaced him. Let's make that clear. They had replaced him. So there was no way in God's green earth that Aaron Rodgers was going to play for the Packers. So they could wait as long as they did. And as we talked about the contract done last year, there's an option payment, but not due until the season. So they could sit on it all off season if they so desired. And they were doing that. So where's the leverage of the Packers? Well, the Jets were all in. They had no reason to trade Aaron anytime soon. They owed Aaron no money. And Aaron's not in the building. He's in Southern California. What's the Jets' status quo? The Jets' status quo is they have Jack Wilson at quarterback, who they do not want to play quarterback. They have no other options. Derek Carr signed. Every Garoppolo signed. And they're looking at, you know, what are they going to do? They have a four-person contingent flew out to Malibu to kiss the ring of Aaron Rodgers. They've got a frothing-at-the-mouth fan base expecting Aaron Rodgers. So it's set up nicely for the Packers, and they took advantage of it. So here's where we are, as you know. And let me just put this out there for people. The Packers sw swapped first-round picks, got a high second-round pick, got a pick next year that unbelievably only has a condition of 65% playtime to get a first-round pick. Nothing about statistics for Aaron, nothing about playoffs for Aaron. So they're probably going to get a first-round pick. And they've unloaded the Packers $100 million in financial obligation, $100 million, all for a player that was never going to play for them. So this is how I see it, and this is how the Packers took advantage of this. The one thing I'll say, Ryan, and I think this is insightful for people who wonder about the Packers, there were a lot of times when I was with the Packers where I thought not having an owner was a deficiency. Right. Sometimes I would go to league meetings, Ryan, and I feel like a second-class citizen. 
<laughs> like the pat, you know, they pat you on the back, they pat you on the head. Good old Green Bay. I'm like, you're not treated like Jerry Jones. You're not treated like Daniel Snyder. I wasn't treated like Art Rooney or Jeff Lurie or Mrs. Benson. I mean, it was like, okay, thanks, you know. But this is a time where the Packers were well served not having an owner because there was no one to walk into the office of Brian Gutekunst and say, hey, get this done. Yeah. Where, As where I on think the other happened. side was Woody Johnson right. ultimately probably made this thing fly before the draft. I think he did. I think he said, come on. Now, again, the Jets had some leverage because of the 23 draft. The Packers wanted picks, but Packers could have let this go. And if they let it go, then there's no deadline. And the Jets don't have a quarterback. So anyway, it got done. The Jets fans are happy. But boy, there's a lot of little margin for error. Aaron better be great. Yeah, he, he better be great. There's a ton of expectation on this team. Uh, the NFL schedule is out. Uh, the first game out of the gate, you get, uh, you get Josh Allen versus uh, Aaron Rodgers on Monday Night Football 9-11 here in New York City. Um, Jets haven't been in prime time like this. I mean, this was a this was a no-brainer for the Jets organization in terms of what they needed to do, and they're they're reaping the rewards of what Aaron Rodgers brings to the table, yes. Yeah, all those primetime games, all those standalone games. What I thought it was interesting, going back to the Packers, Ryan, is that losing Aaron, they didn't lose a lot prime time. I think they have five or six and Thanksgiving. So, uh, you know, it's interesting to me that the Packers are starting a quarterback who's never played and they're on TV. They're on national TV all the time. So it's just the brand, you know, even without Aaron Rodgers, the brand is really strong. Uh, when the NFL schedule came out, I'm, and I'm, I want you to kind of go back in the time machine a little bit when you were with the Packers, um, you know, managing everything you had to within the organization. What was, you know, when that schedule came out? Because I also saw a tweet you put out about how we all knew who they were playing, you know, months yeah. ago. This was more about, you know, fans knowing when they were going to schedule maybe going to a place or going to Lambeau to do these types of things. But what was the first thing you really looked at when the official schedule landed on your desk? Yeah, I understand the planning part of it. I, I didn't mean to be uh, dismissive of that. And I already got people texting me wondering if they can use my contacts to get them Packers tickets yeah. for these certain yeah, games. Yeah, yeah. But what here's what I look for in my time as a front office exec at the Packers. Number one, bye week. Uh, the best bye week is week eight, nine. We hoped for that. As close to eight, nine as you can get, seven, 10 would be, is okay even 6-11, but you don't want to be before that or after that if possible. Second thing is Lambeau Field, late games, late November, December, even January. Those were competitive advantage for us. We love those as many as possible. Third thing I looked for was long trips. Uh, were we gonna, did we have anything in Phoenix or California or Florida? Because I was also responsible for negotiating our charters and for those trips, I'd get a bigger plane, give a little more comfort for the longer trips. And I'd also get us, you know, tell our travel person, we're going to go Friday for those trips instead of Saturday. So you look at those things right away. 
And then you're looking at, you know, what's your divisional schedule like and what are the schedules of your division opponents like in terms of, you know, the Packers division plays the Chiefs, as you mentioned, this year. So when does Detroit play the Chiefs? How will that affect us? When does Minnesota play the Chiefs? Just like where do you think there are going to be losses on the schedule of others, too? So those are the kind of things you look for. And um, I always felt that schedule was looking for any competitive advantage you could find. Yeah, it uh, fan bases uh, had a lot of fun with it. I thought the teams had a lot of fun with it, too, with oh, some yeah. of the ways they did the schedule release. We're going to talk about that a little bit later here on the show because there was some really, really you know, interesting, uh, inventive ways to do it. Now, speaking of inventive, I thought this was really interesting. The Packers, of course, having to make the decision on the fifth-year option for a player that has yet to really play for the team – was something that was really impacting them this year. They do something different. They give them a one-year contract extension instead of the fifth-year option. I thought this was inventive, but maybe you can speak to really what it means, the split of the money, kind of what that takes, and, and why they would do something like this. Yeah, it's a great question, and I thought it was very, as you said, creative by the Packers and by Jordan Love's agent. And Back in my day, I sound like the old timers. We got guys for five-year deals. We didn't even have to deal with an option. But the option for Jordan Love would have been, say, $20 million. Yeah. He had $3 million remaining. So if they exercised the option, Jordan Love would have been guaranteed $23 million. If they didn't exercise the option, Jordan Love would be guaranteed $3 million. That's a massive difference. So they kind of looked at him, and he looked at them, and they stared each other down on whether they're going to exercise, and they came up with this middle deal. So basically, over two years now, he's guaranteed, I think it's about $14.5 million. So $14.5 million. So it's like $8 million this year and 6 and a half next year, right? So the Packers are saying, you know, we're not going to give you the 23, but, you know, we'll give you, six, we'll give you 14 with 6 upside. Jordan Love saying, I'm not going to get the 23, but I can get it with upside, but I'm also not going to be down to two. I'm going to be 14. So I, I'm, you know, I'm one of those people that looks at deals and I say, who got the better of this? And I can't come up with it. I think that makes it a really good deal because Jordan Love's protecting his downside. And his downside was two, three million dollars. Yeah. And now his downside's 14. Uh, so I think a good job all the way around. We, we, that may be a precedent for the future, too. Yeah, I thought it was incredibly interesting and fascinating when it happened because I thought, wow, that makes, that makes a lot of sense because even for, for Jordan Love, if he goes out and has a career year, like if he goes out and showcases that, oh, wow, we did the right thing, we got the right guy, he's going to be the quarterback for the next 15 years for us, you know, they could actually tear up that, that extension anyway and sign him to a long-term right. extension. So this is, this is betting on himself but also getting some guaranteed money in return, to your point, around the downside. And the Packers, knowing they, they needed to see at least two years of data probably on this guy to make the ultimate decision and then really have him on a contract that is more feasible to them. So that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Okay, um, speaking with Andrew Brandt here on the straight line, uh, the Packers, they <laughs> are so on brand. Uh, I really thought maybe – when they swapped up and they got into a position where they may have a chance at the best wide receiver in the whole draft, <laughs> that they would so, go so counter to what 
they did the entire time Aaron Rodgers was there. But no, this this team is is right on brand. They go defense. They build defense, and uh, uh, on a way they go. Is that is that just kind of from your time there to where it is now? That's just who they are. I think so, and I think this is a feeling among a lot of teams. Despite the the uptick in the market last year with Tyreek Hill and and Devontae Adams, I still think it's not a high-value position compared to the rush edge, the offensive tackle, the quarterback, uh, and the corner. So they don't use first-round picks, the Packers, on low-value positions. Now, I know the Lions went running back and inside linebacker totally against the grain, but anyway... One thing the Packers have done since my time there very well is second-round receivers. In my time, Ryan, we had three. We had Greg Jennings, Jordy Nelson, and Randall Cobb, all second-round, all great players. Then they get Devontae Adams. Last year, they get Christian Watson. And this kid, Reed, this year, I don't know if it was second or third, but they got him. So uh, that's a trademark. They just feel like second round is the high value for the Packers at receiver. Now, you know, will it come back to haunt them with a Jackson Smith? But, you know, they get the Iowa pass rusher who never started. Yeah. You know, it's typical Packers. He may come out to be an all pro. Yeah, he may be that uh, A.J. Hawk uh, getting after people. And you're exactly right. Those are the those are the three positions. Corners becoming one of those as well in terms of being able to be a stopper. Um, you look at the I, – I, I said something a couple of weeks ago around the draft on what the Jets could have done in that moment. I mean, they've gone, yeah. out, they've gone out of their way to do everything they could for Aaron Rodgers, right? They flew out to him. They said, we're all in. Uh, they're the, the, we're the only team willing to, to risk and do all of this. They go and grab Alan Lazard. And then, after the draft is over, they, uh, they sign Randall Cobb. Um, two guys that he feels really comfortable with to, to run alongside these younger wide receivers that Aaron's always kind of, you know, um, you know, rebuffed a little bit in terms of how they go about their business. I, I had a point that this could have gone a long way for the team, in particular for him maybe looking at year two, looking at year three, if he wants to continue that career and not be in the exact same position they, they were this offseason. If they, in that moment... Because the number one wide receiver was still available there, go grab another one. Do something that the Green Bay Packers never did during his <laughs> tenure there. And I, I think Joe Douglas panicked a little bit when when uh, when the Steelers jumped them, grabbed that last offensive tackle like we're talking about. They went and grabbed a guy on the defensive front. You know, Will McDonald out of Iowa State, very capable, very good football player, but kind of, you know, will sit on the back of their their roster a little bit to start when you could have added a piece, whether that had been Jackson Smith and the Jigba or in my eyes in that moment, maybe Dalton Kincaid as a tight end for Aaron Rodgers. Maybe your thoughts on what Joe Douglas ultimately did there when they had a chance to maybe, you know, lay something at the feet of uh, their uh, their quarterback God. Yeah. And, and you know, they're, they protest too much about that. Will McDonald pick. Yeah. <laughs> I think like you just said, I think, I mean, despite the uh, pleasing Aaron with a receiver, 
I think they've got, in addition to these two Packer imports, Cobb and, and Lazard, they've got Garrett Wilson and they've got McCole Hardman and they've got uh, Corey Davis, who never got traded. So they, they're pretty loaded there. It's just a question of, I thought they'd take the tackle. Pittsburgh went in and got it. Yeah. So Pittsburgh jumped them. Um, I want to say something, Ryan, about the media and Aaron Rodgers. Well, the media and the Jets, because I've heard this now for like two months. Like, oh, Aaron's going to have this harsh New York media. No, uh, I don't think that. I don't get yeah. it. <laughs> well, first of all, first of all, like he was dealing with uh, some hayseeds in Green Bay. First of all, in Wisconsin, we had reporters from the Green Bay area, like 10 of them. We had Milwaukee, like 20 of them. We had Madison, like 20 of them. We had Western Wisconsin. Like, it's not like Aaron hasn't dealt with rooms stacked of media that he's going to see in New York. The other thing is, not only have they shown so much love for Aaron, but have I missed this, Ryan? And you, you know, you're the perfect person to ask about this. Have I missed the New York media being harsh about the fact that the Jets totally whiffed on the number two overall pick in the draft? Oh, yeah. I haven't seen it. I haven't seen a lot of harsh New York media about that. I really haven't. And that's a it's a franchise-defining bust right there. The, the um, optics and perspective around Joe Douglas because of what he was able to accomplish a year ago with those three first-round draft picks, that and then having Brees Hall and how good he was in the second round, I think – you know, that has almost given them a, a bit of cover when it comes to Zach Wilson and the fact that that he hasn't let him go. Now, this is a good question for you. You worked in the front office. You saw how quickly the team turned on Zach Wilson. Robert yeah. Sala and Joe Douglas both have really committed this offseason into talking him up, sitting behind Aaron Rodgers, learning and developing and things like that. But I mean, when Mike White showed up to start, everybody on the team was wearing Mike White jerseys and shirts, and and you saw everybody campaigning and and for for Aaron Rodgers to come. How can Zach Wilson actually be in that locker room next year? Is that something that could change, or is this something Joe Douglas needs to hang on to? Because as long as he hangs on to him, and there's always a possibility he doesn't maybe have to wear that missed draft pick at number two overall until they get. A, a little bit further away from it. Yeah, I mean, listen, it's pretty obvious. If he wasn't the number two overall pick, he'd be gone. Yeah. Right? And maybe if he was late first, he'd still be there. Maybe early second, he'd still be there. But probably anything lower than that, he'd be gone. And I think they're hanging on because of that. I And you you said I can speak to it. Obviously, we give longer leashes yeah. to high picks. But GMs make their... They're stake they're staking the ground on the high picks. And uh, you know, whether it was Howie Roseman hanging on to the, the receiver he eventually traded to uh, Minnesota, forget his um, the kid out of TCU. Anyway. Rager. Yes. I mean he'd have been long gone if he wasn't a first round pick. Uh, um, so I think these things happen. Do you think he? Do you think Zach Wilson will be the, on this roster uh, as a quarterback this year? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. All but, right. But you know, the question is, if Aaron only plays a year or two, is Zach Wilson the next quarterback? No. No. 
because they'd have to pick up his fifth year option after next year. Somebody else, so. will, somebody else will be there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Before I get you out of here, um, so I was I, I I harped on this all through draft season. You know, and and I've said this before. Maybe it's because I'm too close to it because I understand how teams make the decision on where you're drafted. You know. Yeah. I was very talented. I wasn't emotionally ready, and um, but I didn't have a say in where I got drafted, I, I, whether I was the second pick in the draft or whether I went in the second round to, let's say, the Denver Broncos and sat behind John Elway for two years while he won the Super Bowl. Um, there were two guys that were mainly talked about this year in terms of not having a first-round grade for a lot of people, and that was Anthony Richardson and Will Levis. And there were two sides of this coin in this year's draft. Anthony Richardson, of course, drafted in the top five by the Indianapolis Colts. Now, because of that, it's almost a you know, prerequisite that he's going to be the starting quarterback. And Jim Mersey uh, has had a, a good track record on drafting quarterbacks high in the first round with Peyton and Andrew Luck, and now they have a chance here. Shane Steichen's offense fits probably as good as any offense could for a guy like Anthony Richardson. Now... You know, if it doesn't work out, the guy doesn't deal with failure well, they don't succeed, you know, the Indianapolis Colts a year from now, because of the rookie salary cap, can just move on from uh, from Anthony Richardson and, and get another quarterback. Uh, Anthony Richardson's stuck wearing an anchor where, you know, of course you want to be a high draft pick, but you don't have a say in where you go. Where right. Will Levis, in this instance, of course wanted to be a first-round pick because the money is much greater. You also have the, the you know, you have the, uh, the confidence of being a first-round pick. Well, he slides just outside the first round. He goes at the very beginning of the second to Tennessee, where none of those expectations, where none of those anchors weigh him down if he isn't able to you know, be a, be a franchise quarterback. What are your thoughts on this in terms of the player wearing the bust um, moniker when really all the thing they wanted to do was play pro ball in all of this? Yeah. I mean, I'm part of it and you're part of it, but you got to give some of this blame to the media. Yeah, it's yeah. they're they're the same player, whether they're drafted first or second round. It's we, it's us, it's the public that puts the pressure on these first round picks because we have made that such a mantle yeah. for college athletes. And we spend so much time. I'm not a draft nick. I, I don't follow it, but between January and April on guys that you spend more time in those times than you will talking about them the next 10 years because we build this up and the draft is hope and hope sells and hope floats in all these markets. And, oh, my God, the, the Indianapolis market right now, a buzz about this kid. A buzz. Yeah. And then the Tennessee market is like, yeah, you know, if Ryan Tannehill, you know, flames out, we got this other kid. Like, okay. And they missed on the Willis last year. It's like it's a completely different look. You're right. And um, I had such flashbacks about Will Levis in that room, Ryan, because back to Aaron, yeah. you know, 18 years ago, being on the phone with Aaron, and he was telling me, as the agent was at the time, like, do you know what's going on in here? I'm like, what do you mean? He said, the caterers have put, ta have put the chairs on the tables. <laughs> we're, we're the only ones in here. And they're standing with their arms folded, tapping their feet because they want to go home. Like, can you, can you guys leave is what they're saying to us. 
And we're like, no, we got to wait till we draft. <laughs> what, like, what were you, yeah, what were you, in that moment, Andrew, like, could you, I mean, there, you look at who drafted between San Francisco and yourselves. And yeah. at the time, it just, you look at need and, and best player and stuff like that. But how, how floored were you that, that the, a player like Aaron's caliber was going to fall to you guys so far uh, down the line there in the first round? We were floored, and this is Will Levis, too, because unlike all the positions we just talked about, wide receiver, defensive line, offensive line, corner, you can draft, you can have a bunch of them, right? And quarterback, you only need one and a backup. So I think the same thing happened. All these teams talked about a quarterback, but at the end of the day, they're not going to take Rodgers because they need something else. But I've talked many times about this. We thought Tennessee would take him. They took Pac-Man Jones. We thought... Kansas City would take him. They took Derek Johnson. We thought Cincinnati would take him. They took David Pollock. Yeah. Uh, we thought Tampa would take him. They took Cadillac Williams. So we're like, oh my God, <laughs> like this is the only player we had rated first round left. And there was that combustion in the room. I'll never forget it. as long as I live. The coaches were irate. We can't take a quarterback. He won't help us. We've got the most durable quarterback in the history of football. How dare you guys think we're going to do this? And they're like squeezing their, their fists together. And Ted Thompson, may rest in peace, looks at me and says, Andrew, what do we always say? Trust the board. Yeah. And we're going to do this. And everyone hated it. The coaches hated it. Brett hated it. Aaron hated it. You know, Aaron's putting on a good face going to a place he's never going to play. And the media hated it. And the fans hated it. And we sat three years with him in, in, as a backup. And, they, you know, it wasn't easy with Brett and Aaron. And, and, yeah, but it worked out. It's just something that teams have to show some fortitude in moments like that. Uh, let's, let's put some Packers, let's put some Packers fans um at ease a little bit here. And I, and I think this gets lost in it. You guys had made the, the Packers had made the choice to move on and Aaron yeah. was the answer. But I think what gets lost in this a lot of the time, Andrew, is that team went six and 10 in Aaron's first year. Now he threw for 400, he threw for 4,000 yards and 28 touchdowns. I think the, the second or the, the most interceptions he ever threw in his career in a season. So, you know, the team wasn't, you know, just quite good enough to have a, a, a collective. They went six and 10, but is, is there a, a long enough leash here with Jordan Love for him to have a year like seven and ten or six and eleven? I mean, I I don't feel like that's the same in terms of what expectations exist for this Packers team this year. We didn't know what Aaron would be. Yeah, uh, they don't know what Jordan would be. They just feel comfortable right now. I saw his press conference. I thought he showed a lot of Aaron Rodgers fifteen years ago. He showed a kind of sense of self. And understanding the pressures on him, understanding he's going to have the spotlight that Brett had, now that Aaron had. Oh, no. I mean, yeah, if 6-10 and 10 is what Aaron's first year was, that's kind of the expectation for a first-year quarterback. But we'll see. I think they've surrounded him with good talent, and it's good young talent that he can grow with. Um, I think Packer fans will be patient. Okay. I think nationally, I don't know. Yeah. Because – you know, looking at the Packers giving up on Aaron while he's still MVP level. Uh, but, you know, this was different, Ryan. You know, in my last comments to you, I'll basically say re revert to that story again. When we moved from Brett to Aaron and Brett came back in that messy divorce, 
the hate from the fans was really something where, because again, Brett came back expecting to have his job and the fans were all on Brett's side, like 98%. How dare you think you can give a job to Aaron Rodgers when we have Brett Favre? This time around, I've noticed Packer Nation since January, like, we love, you know, Aaron's great, but we're ready. Like, we're ready. Like, it's time. We'll, maybe we'll go to maybe because they've been through it before. Maybe that, yeah. that's given them some perspective and understanding and maybe have had a better approach to it because they've been through it. I think so. Yeah. I, I think, it, you know, Aaron probably upset some people with some of the annex the past couple off seasons, but Brett did that too. But, you know, that's the feeling I get from Packer fans. Yeah, yeah. Well, oh, it's the off season. It's the schedule release. The NFL can sell, I don't know what, they can sell uh, anything. anything. That's the Paint drying. <laughs> <laughs> they can sell you watching paint dry. That's exactly right. Andrew Brandt. Thank you for taking the time. Enjoy spending some time with your son down there, getting him moved into his first apartment there while he's going to college. Thanks again for, for doing this. It's good to see you. Thanks, Ryan. Always a pleasure. All right, Andrew Brandt, everybody. Uh, that was informative. I love having him on the show. He just uh, He's just so – maybe because him and I, I – I feel like I think the same as him a little bit. And uh, I don't know if that is an insult to him or not, but we'll, we'll find out later at some point. It just – it educates everybody. It makes everybody better makes us more um, uh, experienced when we head into the next season. So thanks to him, of course. All right, that'll do it for this week. Um, everybody enjoy the weekend. For all you mothers out there, have an amazing Mother's Day. I have absolutely the best partner, uh, who's the mom of our little boy, MacGyver Leaf. And uh, we're going to celebrate her mightily on Monday or on Sunday as well. Um, and to my mom, she raised three boys. She raised this knucklehead. Uh, and, uh, and at 47, she's still trying to raise him. So uh, uh, I think what for this Mother's Day, we can tell Marsha Leaf back home in Montana, Mom, you can retire. All right. Now just enjoy being a grandma. Enjoy doing all the things you have. Enjoy your Mother's Day. Uh, enjoy it, everybody. We'll see you next week.